0: Our culture over the last couple centuries has had a lot of reverence and honor for the American flag. It's 4th of July week. I think we can say that, acknowledge that. Over the last couple centuries, there's been a lot of reverence and honor for the American flag. And so especially 50, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, if I was in here and preaching and for some reason had a flag up here to use as an analogy, and I, I dropped it on the ground, people would not be okay with that at all, right? Or if I had used like the American flag as like a little runway to get into the pulpit, people would very much not be okay with that, or even if I was trying to bless the people and show their Americanism as they're walking in, and we had used an American flag as kind of their path to walk into a church, people wouldn't have been okay with that. I could have tried to preach, but I probably wouldn't have been able to, to get through the, the first sentence before someone said, hey, we need to burn that flag because you're dishonoring it. And then maybe if they were really passionate about it, they would maybe say, and then after that, we're going to burn you because that's not okay how you're treating the flag. And so we can think about reverence as we look at our culture, and there has been this great reverence over the years for the American flag or for American freedom or for individual rights. But I think in recent years there's been a shift, and and our culture might not have so much reverence for that. And I think those who are in the military would probably agree with that, and that, yeah, there's not as much reverence for the flag or being an American as there had been in recent years. For better or for worse, it's just not what it was. And so I think currently, as we look at our culture, we still are people that have reverent tendencies. We revere something because we're human. And so I think now, as we're thinking about our culture, we might have a lot of reverence for Taylor Swift right? And so she just had a show in Kansas City, maybe multiple shows in Kansas City. And I was reading online about this and there are people who go to Taylor Swift concerts and they love her so much and want to hear every song that what do they do? They will wear Depends to the concert so that they can just pee through and keep riding so that they can hear all their songs. There's reverence and honor for pop culture. There's reverence and honor for uh, social classes that maybe have more money or have more tout or more this or more that. There's reverence in our culture for that. There's reverence in our culture for certain social movements, for certain uh, individual rights being spoken about, being honored. Self-expression is something that people revere more than anything right now. Like if you want to get in an argument with somebody or frustrate somebody, start talking about that and dishonoring them for who they are or, or who they believe they are to be. But as we look at Psalm twenty-three, and I'll just read the first part of the first verse, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I, I think we could also agree that there's not a lot of reverence that we have for the Lord. There's a lot of things that our culture does revere, and over the last centuries there there's many different things American culture has been reverent for. But as we look at this verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I don't think there's much reverence for the Lord. If I was spending some time out in Colombia, just with other people and kept referencing the Bible, they'd be like, "Well, oh, that's, that's weird. Why does he keep talking about that? Or if I was up just in Colombia and dropped a Bible, people would be like, no big deal. It's like just a book. Or I need to use it for firewood. No big deal. Like, it's just a book. There hasn't been reverence for the Lord let alone uh, reverence for somebody who's following after Christ or reverence for the idea of church. We have a pretty critical culture actually towards the church and towards God because if if God is good, how could this world really be so evil? Like what's his problem if he is there? Our culture has little reverence for the Lord and I think it's because our culture and, and most cultures throughout history believe that their life is their life to live. We don't have this trust, this belief that that our our life is given to us by the Lord. And therefore, if most people are walking around with this belief that, yeah, it's, it's my life and my choice. This is my life that I have to live, so I'm going to do with it what I want. We're not going to have reverence for the Lord. But thankfully, because of the work of God throughout history, we see that he has people who do seek after him who do revere him, who do meet in churches and come before the Lord and say, God, teach me, grow me, help me to know you. And by the grace of God, like churches all around the world today, there are some who are revering God by putting themselves before him and his word and worshiping with one another and being in his community. And here at Anthem, all all summer long, we've been in this series about stewarding our lives to Christ, stewarding our lives in a way that we're revering and honoring God. All summer long, we've been looking at this idea of, okay, if if we're humans, and if we're made by God to glorify Him, how can we glorify Him in all the different areas of life? There's a lot of different areas of life, right? There's parenting. There are are things like uh, physical health. What am I going to do with that? There's things like finances, vocation. What do we do with these things? And we've come before the word of the Lord asking that question of, Lord, what do I do with this? And this morning, as we're in Psalm 23, we're going to be looking at this really famous Psalm of David, but through this lens and idea of reverence to God. This morning, specifically, we're going to be looking at the topic and outline of revering God with all of our life in pause, in plod. And in play. And what that means is, as we're seeking after God, as we're revering Him, if we're Christians, if we've surrendered our life to Him, we have these areas to be revering Him in. We have pause, meaning our rest. We have Sabbath with Him. We have quiet time with Him. As we're seeking after the Lord, we also have plod, which is a really old school word for labor. We have our daily labor, our daily work. But God, a God of delight, also gives us play or recreation. God has gifted us with this ability to enjoy the creation that he's shared with us. And so this morning in Psalm 23, as we look at it, we're going to see what reverence has to do with all these different aspects of our life. So that as we're living life in a culture that's revering anything but Christ, we can be a pedestal, a city on a hill, a light, showing what it looks like to be in this reverence, this humility before God, saying, God, take me as I am, grow me, teach me, help me to be like thee. And then as we do that, we get to be witnesses. And I think another byproduct of that is we don't just get to be witnesses, but we also get to be a blessing to our family. We get to be a blessing to our coworkers. We get to be a blessing to our boss because as we glorify God in all the different categories of our life, it bleeds into everything we do. And it's not just something to, to glorify God, but it's also that, that God blesses through us blessing other people in that as well. And so let me pray for us this morning as we dive into Psalm 23 together. And Lord, we do thank you that we can be here. And we must admit, God, that, that so many times we do find something else to worship. We, we find something else to idolize. Maybe it's a singer, maybe it's a certain lifestyle, maybe it's this cultural thing or this personal preference, but, but God, I pray that as we're in your word today, we would see what it looks like to glorify you through the way that we rest to be with you, through the way that we work in our, in our day jobs, in the, in the classroom, as students, as children, as parents. And God, I pray that we also would be able to see how we can delight and, and Enjoy creation through recreation as well, God. And so, Lord, would you just give us uh, soft hearts for your word as we're in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 23 is one of the most famous passages of Scripture. In the world, I think for, for centuries, uh, this psalm has been memorized by people. It's been shared from uh, a parent to a child at bedtime. It's been used at, at funerals. It's been used to encourage people. One author says, This psalm has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of the captives in dungeons, of widows and their pinching griefs, of orphans and their loneliness. The psalm has been used in so many different ways, and in many ways it's used for comfort. But this morning, as we're looking at Psalm 23, we're going to see kind of a case study of David in prayer before the Lord, but also David modeling to the people of the Lord around him. What it looks like to be pausing before the Lord, to be living life in our work with Him, and to be delighting in Him. And so that in mind, as we look at this first point of of the pause in being with God, revering Him in that way, let's read the first few verses here again, starting in verse 1 through the beginning of 3. David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The first observation that is very helpful to see here, in 23.1, David says, The Lord, he's, he's showing that he has this reverence for a higher being. He's saying, The Lord, admitting there's a God. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. He has this understanding, this confidence, this conviction that God is over him. David himself was a shepherd as he was growing up. He was a shepherd of sheep in in the pastures of Israel. That was his day job for a good while. Then God called him to be a shepherd over the people of Israel. And so he was the second king in Israel and Judah. He was helping lead people through that position. But when it came to David and his relationship with God, what was he? 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What we see here, what we observe is that David is convinced of his role before God. God is God and he is not. We can see this all throughout the Psalms. David wrote many Psalms. In Psalm 18, we see David saying, he, that's the Lord, rescued me because he delighted in me. David believed that he was a sheep before the Lord, that he was wandering that needed to be rescued. And so he he says, "He, he rescued me because he delighted in me. He had this belief that God loved him, that God pursued him, and because of that, he had that surrender. We can see in Psalm 24, he says, the earth is the Lord's. He's saying, yeah, the the, the creator of the universe is not me. The creator of the universe is not science. It's the Lord. The earth is the Lord's. Psalm 28, he says, the Lord is the strength of his people. He had this understanding that if people are going to have a strength, it's only to be found in God. He understood that, that God was this overarching source of strength, but, but not just that, Psalm 31, he says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. In many other Psalms, he uses this language of finding uh, just peace under the shadow of God's wing. He had this sincere understanding that God was his shepherd. Yes, he was a leader and he was a shepherd of many people, but his own heart started with this posture before the Lord of, of reverence, of, Okay, God. I'm your sheep, what do you have for me? David was convinced and confident that God was God and he was not. In verses two and three, we see a way in which David paused to experience the Lord. In two, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. David saw and understood that community with the shepherd is what was going to lead him into true life. The language there he's saying, very allegorical. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he brings him to a place of peace. He leads me beside still waters. David, in his role as king, I'm sure it often didn't feel like a still water. When there's battle going on, when there's nations against you, when within your own political regime, there's people coming after you. It would be very easy to not feel secure but David had this reverence, this pause before the Lord, and what did it lead him to? Verse 3, the beginning of it, he says, He restores my soul. He understood that community with the shepherd is where restoration would be found. He wasn't going to find restoration in just sleeping more, he wasn't going to find restoration in just doing what he wanted with whoever he wanted. He saw that he was going to have restoration with God. Why? Because he had this reverence. He had this amazement of God. That's why all throughout the Psalms, he's using this strong and powerful language. David saw and realized that community with the shepherd would lead to restoration. And David wasn't a perfect guy, was he? Like if we read First and 2 Samuel, if we look at 1 and 2 Kings, we learn about David. We understand more about who he is. He wasn't always godly. He wasn't always glorifying the Lord, right? David had sin. He had immaturity. He had sexual sin. He had a devious nature to cover things up. That's us sometimes, isn't it? We cover things up. We have a devious nature. We, we go against what our parents might ask of us if we're children. We go against what God might ask of us if we're parents, We have a devious nature. David did too. But what did he also have? He had this humility to pause and let God shape him. To pause and let God's people around him shape him. Many times we see David being encouraged and challenged by other people around him. The prophet Nathan being one of them who comes to mind. David had this humility before God this reverence, this awe. and David, we see a broken man pausing before God in an act of everyday reverence. And we see that in the Psalms. And I think a, another thing we can notice as we look at verses one through three is that it's the Lord that's with him. And David wasn't the only one pausing here. David was following after a shepherd who was pausing to be with him. And that's God's heartbeat with us. From the beginning, we've seen God himself pausing. Pausing is a work of God, a trait of God. God's always working, yes, but he also pauses to be with his people. We we see uh, in creation, right? He created the world six days. Seventh day, he rested, he paused, he delighted, he looked back at what had been done. We see God pausing in the garden before their sin, He's with Adam and Eve. We see him pausing in the garden after their sin with Adam and Eve. He's, he's walking with them. He sends Christ to earth. And what does Jesus do? He ministers to people, but he also pauses to be with the Father. All throughout Scripture, we see God calling us to pause to be with Him, but we also see the Lord modeling that with us. So, as we think about our lives and, and this idea of reverence and, and who or what are we honoring, do we have that pause? In our life? Are we coming before God to just stop and to be with Him? Do we surrender to the Lord of Lords who pauses with us? An analogy that, that came to mind this last week uh, as I was leaving the home was this. My, my son Woods, he's, he's young, he's under two. Uh, he, he sometimes gets very sad when I leave. I don't know if you're a father in here or not, and, and if that happens with you sometimes, but there's like this weird feeling that's like, oh, I feel sad for him, but I also feel like kind of special, like... Oh, we have a good relationship, and he misses me. But, but as I was leaving home, he wasn't happy about it. And my wife said something to him like, hey, Woods, like, maybe you'll be able to, to wave at him as he's leaving. And so I back out the truck, start heading out the driveway. He's at the first sliding glass door just waving, hoping to interact with me. Then I make my way up the driveway more. He's running to the next big window, then to the final sliding glass door. He has this eager excitement to interact. Do we have that with the Lord? Do we have this excitement, this delight and like, hey, Lord, like I see you and you're working in my life and I want to thank you for that. Do we have this pause to notice the God who's given us life? Do we have that eager excitement as as a kid with a parent? I believe that God calls us to, and I believe that David is practicing this as he's experiencing the restoration with the still waters, as he's walking by the stream with the Lord. Do you pause to be with God to find restoration in Christ? Do you have excitement to be with him? Up on the screen, there's going to be a series of of slides that kind of help us uh, self-assess here. And so as you think about your life, what do you do in your life when it comes to pause? Maybe you're someone who has no pause. Maybe you're someone who you serve the idol of success. You value work. You value completion over rest. Maybe you're go, 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 go. And because of that, you never stop. Maybe you serve the idol of distraction. You, you hate to rest and you love to play. And so you just enjoy running in the lane of being a college student and you don't get much sleep and it's funny and you just drink more caffeine and you'll be fine probably the next day. And it might not be centered around work, but it's all centered around play. Maybe you don't have pause because you're only playing. Maybe you serve the idol of independence and you say, I don't need pause. You know what? I do church on Sundays. That's good for me. Why would I pause to be with God throughout the week? I already meet with him in that way. Maybe you have no pause in life, and this morning, God's encouraging you to have a pause, to slow, to stop, to be with Him. Maybe you're someone who has ungodly pause. This will be on the next slide. Maybe you serve comfort, the idol of comfort. Maybe doing nothing feels right to you, and because of that, you pause, but it's in an ungodly way. Maybe you're not meeting with the Lord. Maybe you're just meeting with yourself, doing nothing. You're you're caught up in yourself. Maybe there's the serving of the idol of irresponsibility. You say, I'm just going to applaud tomorrow. I'm going to do the work that maybe needs to be done today, tomorrow, because it's worked before, and I'm just going to try to get away with it as long as I can. Maybe you serve the idol of self-analyzation, where rather than looking up to God and revering Him, you're constantly just looking at yourself, or you're constantly looking at your own problems, and you're just pausing, and oh, why is this like that? And why is that person like this? When God calls us to look to Him, To surrender those things to Him. As we pause with ourselves in in self-analyzation, it often just leads us to a spot of anxiety, to a place of worry. Do you have ungodly pause in your life? Or do you have godly pause in life? Next slide. Do you follow God's example? God paused, so we pause. Do you power down to power up? Meaning, do you take time to choose to rest? Choose to rest physically. Choose to rest in in your emotional life. Just take time back and say, you know what, God, I'm going to come before you. And I'm not going to think about this thing or dwell on this thing. I'm just going to rest before you. Do you have godly pause in that way? Do you spend time in front of a calendar figuring out, okay, when can I have my daily pause with the Lord today? When can I meet with him and his word? Do you have a weekly Sabbath? God calls us to rest. He calls us to be with him, to delight in him, to be in his word. Do you have a set portion of the week where you're doing that in a fuller way? Maybe it's not a full 24-hour window. But do you have a chunk of time where you're spending it with God and spending it and delighting in his creation? Godly pause looks like reuniting with the shepherd. It's really easy to let other people guide us. It's really easy to let our feelings guide us. Are we actually letting the shepherd be our guide? Part of godly pause is doing that, and do you receive the gift of limits? That's probably my least favorite thing that I've ever read in a book. This author talking about, hey, we actually have this gift called limits. We don't want limits in life, do we? We want to be able to get as much out of life always as possible as we can. But God's designed it so that we do have limits. We don't know everything. We can't solve it all. We do have a need for sleep. And can we receive the gift of godly limits? In pausing, he's given week. Are we able to do that before him? And so Sabbathing well, resting well, pausing well is a sign that we love God, that we trust him, that we have reverence for him. And the gift that he gives us as we do that is we get to find restoration. It's not like we're pausing to move backwards. We actually pause to move forward because we get filled up. We get refueled. We get re-centered on who God calls us to be. And so are we like a child waving in the window at the Lord day after day? Are we coming before him and resting and just remembering that God calls us to revere him, not just because, but so that we can have this relationship with him. The second thing we can witness David modeling in Psalm 23 is this reverent heart to be led by the shepherd in the daily work. Let's read verses 3 and 4. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David, as for all of us, was called not to just live a life where he pauses, but also to live a life Where he works, where he plods, where he does the daily grind that work is. Maybe you're a a young mother or a mother and that's been your work. Maybe you're someone who's 35 and you manage something. Or or you're 24 and you're working on a master's degree. Or you're 18 and, and you're just beginning college. We all have a work that God calls us into. And here in Psalm 23 we see David practicing work before the Lord. In verse 2, we can look. Yeah, David's lying down in green pastures. He's pausing. He's being led by still waters. But as we get into verse 3, we see him saying, He leads me in paths of righteousness. He isn't stopping and only stopping. He's stopping and then moving along with the Lord. He's being led into paths of righteousness. David wasn't on an easy path as he was working and plotting either. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David didn't have an easy path. As a shepherd, he would have to fight off the predators that were after his sheep. Probably worked a lot of long hours. Sheep are probably stubborn. He probably got lonely. Maybe he had a shepherd community. I don't know. But he, he probably had this fight with loneliness. As he was king over Israel. If you've led anything before, you know that often there are people that might not like how you lead. Or they don't think your why for your leadership is right. People were critical of David and his leadership. People were coming after him, right? Oh, that was a communion cup. Uh, People were coming after him. Saul literally throwing spears at David trying to get him out. His work wasn't easy. But he also didn't back down. He didn't quit. He plodded forward. Work is a plod forward. It's not always wonderful. It doesn't always feel great, but it is what God called us to do even before sin was in the world. He's called us to work, to make things better, to glory him with our hands, with our minds, with what we do. How did David engage in that work? He did so by fearing not evil, but the Lord. Verse 4, he says, you are with me. He was entrusting himself to God. He continues this shepherd analogy with a rod and staff. A shepherd would use his staff to to pull sheep back. If they were jumping into water, they couldn't swim in. Or or maybe push sheep forward. If it's like, hey, I'm trying to get you in this fold. You you, kind of need this fold. It was used to ward off different predators. And David saw that staff of the Lord, and he saw that as comfort. He saw his relationship with God Not in this fearing God in a scary way, but in this awe-filled, he's going to actually comfort me with his leadership of me. We see David engaging in his work through fearing God, not through fearing the bills. Not through fearing, you know, whether or not our boss likes us. Whether or not we're not good enough for this job that we got. He served the Lord in his work by fearing him. He says, you are with me. David plotted and worked because he knew that God intended us to work. We see this in Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. David understood that God had put humanity on earth to work. And so what did he do with his life? Yes, he paused in being with God, but he also plotted forward. He walked forward in the work that God called him to. First as a shepherd, second as a king. He was faithful with what God gave him. And how did he do that Through fear of the Lord, through reverence, belief that God had him. And as we live our life, do we have that attitude with our work? Do we work to the glory of God? Think about Do you revere God and his call for you in the work that you have? Up on the screen will be three slides again. Maybe you're someone who you're in a season where it feels like you're not plotting. You're not working. Maybe you're in this season because you've served the idol of rest, You glorify rest over work. Maybe you focused so much on the still waters, and you're just not engaging that part of you that God calls you to be working. Maybe you've served the idol of procrastination, I can work tomorrow. Sometimes we really like to just sit back and wait for something to get done, hoping maybe that someone else will do it, or just trusting that tomorrow our attitude or our spirit or our energy levels will just be a little higher. Sometimes we do not plod because we're serving the idol of play. I don't want to just harp on college students again. Any of us can get caught up in that. We find some hobby that we really just love and maybe we're not working because we're just living for that hobby. Maybe you're somebody who's plodding, but as you're plodding, as you're working, it's in an ungodly way. Ungodly plodding looks like serving the idol of work. Maybe you, like me, can be obsessed with getting things done. And you're just like, man, give me a checklist and I want to get it all done. And then we serve that, serve that, serve that. And it's like, did I get time with the Lord? No. Did I have limited time with my family? Yes. Why? Because I'm serving the idol of work. Sometimes we're plotting, but it's for us. Do you find yourself doing that? Sometimes we serve the idol of responsibility. Well, I'm here on earth to serve God by my work, and so I just need to do all these responsibilities, and we cut out relationships with him and with others. Maybe you serve the idol of self-heroism. You, you work to prove yourself as worthy or, or to earn something, or maybe you've served the idol of self-gain. This can be a very easy one to do, especially with Amazon.com. There's a lot of things we find that we like, that we want to own. And so then we work to get what we want. I believe that becomes ungodly plotting when we're working just to get something back, right? And so what does godly plotting look like? What does godly work look like? It's following God's example. God works, so we work. We join in work with the shepherd. We learn what he has gifted us with. We see what sort of jobs he's offered in front of us. And then we move forward in them. We, we take what he gives us. We entrust, him, we entrust ourselves to what he puts in front of us. And I believe it's also using the calendar. We fill our schedule with work that's going to fulfill the mission. Some of that work might be your day job. Some of that work might be Christian community. Some of that work might be spending time with people who don't know Jesus. And, and your work during part of the week is evangelizing or discipling or encouraging or challenging people. We've got to get out our calendar sometimes and intentionally pencil that in because sometimes we don't want to work, but we need to work. Or maybe that's just me. final aspect we see here in the text is David revering God, stewarding his life before God through the way in which he delighted in God. We can see this in verses 5 and 6. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 5 is an allegory of a feast before the Lord with David. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We see David in this banquet setting. We see the Lord anointing David's head with oil. We see them in this just time of community with one another. He's delighting in God. He's bringing abundance. And it's so interesting. How is he bringing him abundance? It's while in the presence of our enemies. The enemy's always at work. We live in a world that is corrupt with sin. Sin within us, sin within the world. Spiritual warfare. There's evil going on around us we see david modeling this delight in god even in the middle of that even when enemies are right among us or around us he's delighting in the lord in verse 6 he uses this language of goodness and mercy for all the days of my life and then he talks about how yeah and i'm going to be able to dwell in the presence of the lord forever he's looking ahead to this eternal time with the lord the new heavens and the new earth where, where he can be delighting with him Charles Spurgeon, on on Psalm 23, wrote, When a soldier is in the presence of his enemies, if he eats at all, he snatches a hasty meal, and away he hastens to the fight. But observe in this psalm, thou preparest a table, just as a servant does when they unfold the cloth and display the ornaments of the feast on an ordinary, peaceful occasion. Nothing's hurried, there's no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table. Because of the good shepherd, the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. Here's the thing. In Christ, a Christian experiences a feast in the middle of a fight. As we're following after Christ, we're going to be in the middle of a fight. But a gift that he gives us is that we can be delighting in him through that. We can be enjoying the creation that he's given to us, even in the middle of the fight that we have here on earth. For some reason, God gave us taste. For some reason, God gave us our senses to be able to enjoy the things that are in front of us. For some reason, he, he chose color. For some reason, he decided to, to make everything very beautiful. For some reason, he wanted to get to that seventh day and look back and say, yeah, this is very good. And it's not something he just holds for himself, but it's something that he gives us to enjoy as well. This delight in the middle of the fight, the Christian experience is a feast in the middle of the fight when we are playing, when we are recreating in life before the Lord, before others. We don't see David specifically playing in this passage, but we see a picture of him before God at this feast, seeing God's goodness, seeing God's mercy, and then throughout other areas of scripture, we see David having a life of delight. We see him dancing when the ark returns. We see him spending time writing psalms, talking about the glories of God's creation. We see he himself having feasts around and among his people. He was able to delight in the Lord. David was a man who paused with the shepherd and worked with the shepherd, but also spent time with the shepherd, delighting in his creation. Do we see God's call for his people to also be people who play. Do we see God's call for us to enjoy the life that he's given us? In Ecclesiastes 3, it says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, that's people, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. If we read that in light of the whole of Scripture, we can see and understand that part of God's gift to us is being able to toil with joy, being able to toil and, and just take pleasure in the things that he gives us. Yes, we can blow that out of proportion, and we could run with that verse in the wrong direction if we wanted to. But if we look at that verse in view of all of scripture, I think it's a beautiful thing. God calls us into this great life, this great work, but he also has given us pleasure to enjoy it. And so do we have that in our life? Do we have play in our life? How do we play well? How do we take part in recreation in a way that glorifies God, whether we're young, whether we're old, no matter where we're at in life? How do we do that in a way that, that truly reveres Him and brings Him glory? So I was looking at the, the, the text, I was like, I, I want to go beyond this, and so in looking at 1 Corinthians 10, I, I think we get very good uh, just context and understanding of, okay, this is what it looks like to actually live out recreation before the Lord. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writing, says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The guiding rule and metric for play as we partake in creation is this. We play in a way that's helpful, we play in a way that builds up, and we play in a way that is for God's glory. We revere God, we honor Him, and as we go into enjoying the life that He gives us, We listen as well to what his rules for play are. We don't live out life and recreation out of this goal to just please ourselves or to just have personal satisfaction, to get what we want. No, we we do it to enjoy the creation that God's given us. We do it to glorify him. And so are we glorifying God with our recreation? How do you deal with play, delight, and recreation? Some of us might be in a place where there is little or no play. If that's you, maybe this morning you're serving the idol of religiosity. You're like, okay, so, so God is serious, so therefore I'm going to be serious. If you look at his word, he, he's very serious. And so I, I need to model that. And sometimes we, we get very caught up in just looking a certain way. But God is more than serious. He's also full of delight, isn't he? Maybe this morning you've served that idol. Maybe you've served the idol of legalism. Playing might lead me into sin. Like if I enjoy life, it might lead me into a life that's just about enjoyment. And you're right, it could. But we're also not here on earth to never laugh. We're also not here on earth to to never enjoy people around us. Like if we're parents and trying to model that to our kids, like we're not going to relate very well to them. Because if you try to sit down and have a serious conversation with your 4-year-old or 6-year-old or 10-year-old or 14-year-old day after day after day, and it's just like, hey, we've got to talk about this, and they don't ever see you delighting in God or delighting in them, they're going to grow up with a pretty skewed picture of God. And so we can't let this legalistic view of like, oh, man, if I play, uh, I might just cross this boundary. right? I think like dancing within Baptist culture for a while was kind of like that. Maybe it still is. I don't know. All I know is our church and where we're at. But dancing was a thing where it's like, oh man, like, like if you dance, that could lead to some future pleasure. Like You don't know. But God's given us the ability to enjoy people. And if part of the ability enjoying people has to do with dancing to music, both things designed by God, I think we can be okay if we're walking into that. With this idea that I want to glorify God with this time with my spouse or glorify God with this individual. Obviously, you don't just dance with everybody always. We do have rules. It's in light of this idea of our heart and our posture. Am I going to glorify God with this? And so do you have play in your life or have you been caught up in no play? Maybe you've served the idol of life stage. Maybe you're 40. Or maybe you're 25 and you're like, man, I just got this job and all I'm going to do is work. And you've just been running in that work lane over and over and over again and you just won't let off the gas. It's going to burn you out. It's going to have an impact on your friends. It's going to have an impact on your community. We can't let our life stage determine whether or not we're playing. It's very easy to let that happen, but it's not what God calls us to do. Maybe you're someone who plays, but it's in, in an ungodly way. Maybe you've served the idol of self-indulgence. Maybe satisfaction is is the priority, or maybe you've served the idol of lust, and you've enjoyed that relationship so much that all you're living for now is something sexual. Maybe you've been running in in a hidden life of of pornography, and you've been playing in this way that's not designed for that. God didn't design us for that. God designed intimacy for marriage with our spouse, And maybe you've been running in that lane where where you've just been, you've been playing, but it hasn't been to the glory of God. It hasn't been in that metric and in that guiding principle of glory to Him. Maybe your ungodly play has been serving the idol of complacency I'll rest and work later, or I'm going to serve this idol of happiness. God wants us to be happy, right? Like we hear these different phrases as we're growing up or as we're in, in culture and then it's real easy to say, yeah, like God, th- this makes me happy and so I, I just think it's what I need to do. And it's like, really? Did like, God lead you to that or are you just living out of this overflow of what you love? Maybe you're playing but it's in a way that is ungodly or maybe it is godly playing. What does it look like to play in a godly way? following God's example. God created, so we recreate. We see in Genesis 1, God creating creation. And God has given us so many abilities to do similar things there. No, we can't speak things into existence, but we can partake in this creative part of us in a way that brings God glory. Are we doing that with our time? Are we following God's example we can join and play with the shepherd. We can delight with Christ for Christ. We can put things on our calendar so that we make sure we're spending time with our family or, or our friends, enjoying them, enjoying the relationships that we have. Are we doing that? Godly play also looks like receiving the year of Jubilee. There's one passage of scripture, I think. There might be a few that talk about the year of Jubilee. This was a, a practice of the Israelites And every 49th or 50th year, they would just stop. They wouldn't work. They wouldn't harvest. They would just take delight in the creation that God has given them. When it comes to vacation, when it comes to stopping for for the sake of enjoying God and His creation, do you have that heart? Do you have that posture to say, Lord, I know it's going to be a sacrifice to stop right now, to delight in this, to say no to changing the gutters right now just to get to my son's game? Delight comes at a cost. But are we willing to make it because we see it as a gift of God to receive? One author writes on the Sabbath and on resting in this way. He says, Sabbath, which is a blend of pause and play, is like receiving the gift of a heavy snow day every week. Stores are closed. Roads are impassable. Suddenly you have the gift of a day to do whatever you want. You have permission to play, to be with friends, to take a nap, to read a good book. God gives you one Sabbath every seventh day. Think about it. He gives you over seven weeks of snow days every year, 52 Sabbaths. And if you begin to practice stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating for one 24-hour period each week, you will soon find your other six days becoming infused with the same qualities. For never taking time to stop. And delighting in God. We're never going to walk with delight in the other areas of life. We're going to become bitter. We're going to become frustrated towards other people, with ourselves, what our life's become. We've got to guard the Sabbath. And we've got to move forward in life with this, this understanding that, that God wants us to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy other people. He wants us to enjoy the gifts that he gives. So God's intention in creating us is that we live our lives with reverence to him. Are you doing that this morning? So many times we, we punt on this idea of revering God and we just get lost in the culture. We get lost in, in what our friends are doing or get lost in what our family has done for the last hundreds of years and we lose sight that, that God calls us into many aspects of our life. Are you revering God with your life? Maybe this morning you've let your personality or your preferences, or, or your stage of life determine what you do. This morning in Psalm 23, we, we see that, that God is hoping that we wouldn't let our our, our preference or our life stage determine what we do, but what He has called us to do. Maybe this morning you only pause because maybe you have a reflective personality or maybe you've had struggles with laziness and you've been in a season of only pausing. This morning, I believe God has more for you. He calls us into work. He calls us into play. Maybe this morning, all you do is plot. All you do is work. Maybe work is God. Maybe you've been trying to prove something, earn something, run from something. Confess that before him. Admit it. And make some changes this week. Talk to your spouse about it. Talk to your roommates about it. Hey, I've been working way too much. Would you just tell me to smile? Would you tell me to stop working so I can just enjoy our household? Maybe that's what you need to do this morning. As I was listening to a podcast about overworking, a thought came to mind. to you only applaud because there's, quote, not time for quiet time and quality time? We're not too busy For Jesus or for other people, we just love work more than we love being with Jesus or with other people. Busyness is a reason for little to no inner life spiritually or no outer life in Christian community is simply because we are doing what we want to do and not what God calls us to. Don't let this belief that work is what we're here for lead you into a life where you're not stopping to be with God or you're not stopping to be in the relationship people in your church or the people around you in your home, your parents, your friends, your children, your siblings. Or maybe this morning you are caught up in a season of only play. Maybe you're between 18 and 22 and it's been really easy to just play, 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 play. I believe God has more for you. Even if you're in here and you're 16, God has more for you than just playing. Your parents are probably if they're following after Christ, they're, they're probably trying to train you up in a way that a child should go. And the training up doesn't only involve delight or play. Maybe you're 16 this morning and you need to see that God has a design for us to work. God has a design for us to rest. There's so much we can see from David in Psalm 23. I believe it's a picture of how we can live our lives to the glory of God. As of this morning, think through, Lord, Lord, what would you have for me? Maybe this morning you're not following after Jesus. Maybe he's not the shepherd of your life. If that's you this morning, God's challenging your heart, maybe in this moment, to surrender to him as shepherd for the first time. Stop guiding your own way through the field and to say, yeah, actually, I am a sheep and I I need to be led right now. And if that's you this morning, know that God, he offers you forgiveness. He offers you a better way to live. And if you are following after Christ this morning, I I believe it's just a reminder of, okay, we need to pause. We need to do a heart check. We need to check the gauges on our car and see where do I need to make adjustments? Who can I talk to to help keep me accountable with that? And then we got to do something about it. We don't do Sundays to just read. We do Sundays to be filled up, to be moving forward from where we're struggling, to be praising God as reminders of who He is. Let's pray together this morning in light of his word. Lord, we just we, we thank you for the examples that we can see in scripture. We, we thank you for the clear places in scripture that are just telling us to do things. God, And we thank you for allegory and analogies that help us understand how to do life on this planet in a way that doesn't glory ourselves, but in a way that reveres and honors you. God, I thank you that as we're living the Christian life, we can have humility and, and, and make changes. God, I pray that we'd be people who have grace for one another as, as changes do need to happen. And God, I pray for those in this room that are maybe considering following after you for the first time that they would see that playing shepherd is a lot more than we realize. And we don't have a lot of answers. And we don't know what we're going to do with the end. And so, Lord, I pray that for them this morning, they would see that in you there's a good shepherd. In you there's, there's hope and eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.